I'm going to start reading uh, Jonah uh, chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods, floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down uh, to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, or brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray. Father, we come to you with confidence, for you are a strong God. A God who is mighty in strength and mighty to save. Mighty to complete your work. And you complete that work through times like this, through us feeding upon your word that strengthens us, changes us, moves us forward, prepares us, Lord, ultimately, uh, even to be in your presence with great joy. Lord, I pray pray that we would this day um, listen, that your spirit would be at work, and we'd praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to put a picture up on the screen. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these photos before. Um, it's, it's, it's an image someone created of, of like the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So each one of those lines, I believe, is like maybe a chapter in the Bible, I think. And then it's connected to something else that comes at some other chapter in the Bible. So some have, you know, really immediate kind of fulfillments. And some, you can see all the way from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And it's, it's actually, it's a really important image to have in our minds, because um, it teaches us uh, an important biblical principle about interpreting the Bible. It's not just a nice graphic, all right? It illustrates the fact that this is one act of revelation that we have in our Bibles. It's one story about the work of God in the world, one story that the beginning has to do with the end, and all the middle dots in between are connected. When we, can, when we can connect Genesis to Revelation, when we can connect David with Jesus, or the Exodus with salvation, or the curses in Deuteronomy to the cross of Christ, like the Bible takes on a deeper dimension, a, a greater uh, depth. And Jesus, you can take it down now if you'd like, or you can keep it up there, it's pretty the whole time, you know. Uh, Jesus is the key to understanding our Bibles this way. 
All right, in particular, Jesus' death and resurrection, his, his suffering and his exaltation are, the, are kind of the glue that holds this book together. If you remember that Jesus, when he rose in Luke 24, he, he met with those disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus says that throughout all the scriptures, there are things concerning him. And apparently, it'd be foolish not to notice them. To search to find these things. All right, the, the New Testament authors all think about the Bible in that way. They point back and they say, hey, here's what it said before and here's how it's fulfilled right now. And we read last week, and I'll read it again, uh, how Ma- uh, Jesus particularly does this with Jonah and Matthew chapter 12. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. All right, those Jewish leaders wanted some sign from Jesus to authenticate his authority. He said, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want you to remember that, what happened then, and then, and then I am the greater Jonah. And you're going to see sometime how that was pointing to me. How that was preparing you for me. And so today we look at really the kind of the bullseye of that fulfillment. So we left off last week in verse 16 of chapter 1. As far as the story was concerned, if you remember, Jonah's a dead man. That, that's, that's what everyone thinks. This guy is going to die. They're throwing him overboard into the Mediterranean Sea. And to, just to avoid the calling of the Lord, Jonah is willing to reject the presence of the Lord. Fleeing the presence of the Lord. It's used three times in chapter 1. Fleeing from the presence of the Lord. So that means it's important. You should keep it in mind. So Jonah boards the ship. He heads west. To thwart Jonah's plan, the Lord sends a hurls a wind upon the sea. And it looks like a mission of judgment, right? He's going to die and all these sailors are going to die. And the scene becomes so desperate that Jonah says, you know, they're calling out to their gods, and Jonah says, well, the way this is going to work, the way you're going to be saved is you're going to have to hurl me into the sea. The men don't like the idea. They start throwing the cargo out. They're trying to make it to shore. But ultimately, Jonah's life is sacrificed so the sailors might live. And then the storm ceases. The men worship. And this is where we pick up with the appearance of the fish sent by God. So first God sent a storm, now God sends a fish. And the, 
in verse 17, it says that it swallows Jonah. He remains there for three days and three nights. Now, the story kind of glosses over the details about the fish. The capacity of, you know, how could that happen? How could he fit inside of a fish? Clearly, it's not because it's not the fish that matters. It's not the power of the fish. It's actually the purpose of the fish that we're supposed to notice. And let's be honest, you know what? This might rank, I haven't, maybe I didn't think through everything, but I think this might rank as like the scariest story in the Bible. And you think like Daniel in the lion's den, like, no, no, close your eyes and imagine you're in a fish. Like in every way, that's the most terrifying thing, I think. The most terrifying story. Like, you think, well, it's not so bad because he's going to get out. But did he know he was going to get out? Jonah saw death from the time he was tossed into this overboard. And God appoints this fish for a purpose. And at first you think, well, that's a judgment. Right? Like, that is a judgment. Thrown overboard. Eaten by fish. But the fish actually becomes a means of Jonah's deliverance. It's kind of a salvation by fish story. Now, there's actually debate on whether Jonah died. Some people would say that the, the miracle of the story is that he died and was resurrected. Others would say the miracle of the story is that he didn't die and, and existed there in that fish and was vomited up. I think there's actually good reasons for both arguments, to be honest. But I don't think either one of those affects the point of the story. But I think that we do get at the point of the story. There's one man I read this week, he said this, Jonah is closer to death than life in this psalm. He's closer to death than he is to life. Jonah comes face to face with death. He truly tasted of death. He, he got as as Step one foot, at least, in the valley of the shadow of death. And God is going to use death, and God uses death to transform his people. Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. All right, death puts life in perspective. And here's the thing, you actually don't have to wait, and nor should you wait until you face death in that way to actually learn the lessons. It is good to think about death. It's good to talk about it. It's good to consider it in your decisions. And it's not morbid, it's actually wise. Scripture over and over actually prompts us to think this way. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't be afraid of those who can only kill your body. Just remember about death, Jesus is reminding us. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 6, Paul writes, So we are, always, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we should, and we would rather be away from the body and to be at home with the Lord. That's what Christians should talk that way. 
I'm looking forward to that time when my life in this body ends and I'm with the Lord. Psalm 116, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I can't remember very many songs that we say that, that it's a precious thing when a saint goes to be with the Lord, when a saint dies to be with Jesus and to live as Christ and to die as gain. Like, like these are not statements, these are statements about how you live your life. Not just statements purely about what do you think about when you're going to die. This is how you think about living. So Jonah is face to face with death and it changes him as it should. And that's where we find, find this psalm or this song being written. He goes from foolishly running from God, from the presence of the Lord, to the point where he's actually calling out for God. And God is using death to teach Jonah. Remember again, he thinks, I'm, I'm dying here. I'm dying here. The fish becomes a small little cramped classroom where God is, sits Jonah down for three days to teach him a lesson about his grace. It's a classroom to learn grace. Life is a classroom. It's where we're disciplined for holiness. It's where we suffer to gain a better understanding of his word. Life is where we come to know his faithfulness. And in this classroom of the fish, Jonah is going to learn the message of the book, really. That God is compassionate and patient and full of mercy. And so Jonah, chapter 2, is Jonah's journal from his time in God's classroom. And it's filled with with psalms that Jonah had had memorized in his life. You won't look at them, but you can go back and find different ways. He's He's just praying the psalms. He's remembering the truths he knows from God's word. And the song is written and divided into two parts. Verses two through the first part of verse six. And then you can draw a line, and then it's the second part of verse six to the end. And here's the, the idea I want us to get this morning. Running from God will take you where you don't want to go. Running from God will take you where you don't want to go. But if you call out to the Lord, the power of resurrection can bring you to life. If you call out to the Lord, the power of resurrection can bring you to life. So, part one of the song. Jonah gets what he asked for in his rebellion. Separation from God. <clears throat> Remember how I pointed out that Jonah is running from the presence of the Lord. Now when Jonah is doing this, he didn't realize just how real that would become in just a few days. He was getting what he asked for. Separation from the presence of God. It is from the pit where he cries out in verse 4, I am driven away from your sight. I'm driven away from your sight. He gets what he foolishly asked for, distance from the presence of the Lord. And the the psalm begins with kind of a a summary statement of the the greatest of all truths a person can have when they cry out in distress. I cried out to my God, to God in my distress, and he answered me. All right, this poem is a praise that unpacks that verse. I called out to God in my distress, and he answered me. He cries out. From the darkness, out of the depths, he calls to the Lord. He's, this, this whole opening section there is just full of the language of death. This isn't like I'm calling you out because I'm having a stressful day. 
He's calling out from the belly of Sheol. That's an that's a, that's a Old Testament language for talking about the, the place you don't want to go, the dreaded place of death, the place of divine punishment and judgment. In Psalm 49 speaks about the foolish. It says, like sheep, they, the foolish, are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol, with no place to dwell. But but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, yet for he will receive me. Notice he says he's in the, the belly of Sheol. Now, our first instinct is to think, well, you know what? Jonah is getting what he deserves. You know, he got here because of his rebellion, right? That's why he's here. He's here because he fled, right? That's correct. That's how he ended up here. But look at the way he says it in verse 3. He's praying this to God. He says, you cast me into the deep. I thought the sailors cast him into the deep. He says, God, you did it. There is a rich theological understanding in Jonah that God is the one who is sovereign over what's happening in his life. Even in this darkest moment. Jonah had sinned, yes. The sailors had thrown him in the sea, yes. But there's a recognition that God is sovereign over these events. God has never stopped directing Jonah's life. Despite all Jonah's efforts, God has not taken his hand off of Jonah. It is God who put Jonah in the pit that Jonah has dug for himself. Will the seas cover him? We see this in verses 5 through the, all the way through the end of, or middle of verse 6. The image, he sinks to the bottom of the sea. The deep surrounds him. The weeds wrap around his head. He, He reaches to the bottom where the mountains start. I mean, that's a scary place. I don't know about you. Like, I've always thought, like, I'd, I think I'd rather go into space than go to the bottom of the ocean. Like, that's just as, like, that is dark and scary. He's like, I'm going to the bottom. I'm sinking to the very depths. The bars close upon him forever, in verse 6 at the beginning. Like, I'm just, I'm just entrapped in this. But the bullseye is in verse 4 of this first section. So you got waves crashing in the beginning, you got rain, and then and at the end in verse 6, 5 and 6, you got waves crashing and sinking to the bottom, but right in the middle, like, like the waves are crashing in on verse 4, where he says, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Other translations say, I have been banished from your sight. In that moment, Jonah is consumed by the thought that he is forsaken by God in that moment. He experiences like that divine displeasure. He experienced the essence of the, the curse of God to be abandoned by God. I think about Aaron's blessing. If we could reverse that for a moment. May the Lord take his face away from you. May the Lord take away his countenance from you and give you no peace. That's what it feels like for Jonah in that moment. His countenance, God's taken his countenance away from him. 
There's no peace in that moment. We have a word for that place. You ever, we have that, a word for that place when, when one is abandoned by God. And in an ultimate sense, to be fully abandoned by God. Where his face will never look upon you. A word for that is called hell. That's what Jonah gets a taste of. Just a taste. He may desire the day when he can see the presence of God in his temple, but today, that's not the day. Today he is banished from his sight. And here's the point I want us to get here. Jonah gets what he asks for, right? He was fleeing the presence of the Lord, and now he gets to feel what it's like to flee from the presence of the Lord. He ran from God in his rebellion, and God gave him what he wanted. He was turned over to his sinful desire to be far from God. Where can I go? I'm going to go to the other side of the sea. I don't want to be, I don't want to surrender to him. I don't want to go and do what he asked me to do. I'm going to go the other way. And I I, I think of Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And, and their, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Who was blessed forever. Amen. Jonah knew. He goes, I'm going to go a different way. And God gave him over to it. In that moment, in that fish, he knew what it was like. There's much in this life that we are afraid of that we shouldn't be. But there are a few things that we ought to be afraid of. And one of them would be that we would ever come to the place where we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Or to walk away from God and flee his presence for something else. To say, God, all right, I know who you are, but I don't want you, I want something else. You should fear that thought to ever pass through your mind. It's a fearful thing to walk away from God, to run from the truth, to run from his calling, to reject God's rightful place and authority, to run from the light into the darkness. Say, I know the joy of your presence, but I like this short-lived pleasure more. It's running from freedom to slavery. There are many, there are many. who, in this room I suspect, want, like, want God in their life. Like, want the presence of God throughout their days. But the, I suspect there are many who also have parts of their life that say, God, I don't, I, I, I don't want you in this part of my day. I prefer to flee from your presence when I'm doing this or saying this or whatever it may be. 
They've asked God to step out of the room and not be present. You have made the decision in that moment to exchange the glory of God for the pleasure of something in this created world. From some image on a screen to more commonly just the image you look at in the mirror. You're committed to that image over God. And I will tell you the most frightening judgment that God could give you is to turn you over to it. Such that you find yourself one day in the darkness and you say, I'm driven from your sight. And I'm driven here because you gave me what I wanted. I know it's not quite as much as it was a thing. Well, I shouldn't say that. Many years ago, like, you know, selfies were, maybe they're really, maybe some people still do that a lot, I don't know. Um, but like just, you know, or maybe TikToks, like, a, you know, a cultural ver- version of that. You know, like just images of self, images of self all day long. Promotion of self. And don't like say, well, I'm not one of those people because I don't do that. Just, re- you, you, you do it in your own way. All right. But I think of that as like a graphic picture because so much energy, so much time, so much emotion and feeling and, and pleasure found in, in other people seeing you and thinking something you want them to think about you. And like the horror that it would be or the horror that it will be for some who exchange the glory of God for the image of themselves. And what a horrific thought to be in hell forever and all you can see is images of yourself. Like the selfies you took. Like that's, that's what you get. That's all you get. Like that's a fearful thought to be banished from the presence of the Lord and be turned over, even just to be turned over to yourself. You should ask yourself, are there things you're asking for or wanting in exchange for the glory of God? What is your great pleasure that you prefer over Jesus? What are the plans that you find to be more desirable than God's plans for you? We need to hear that to run from God will lead to being forsaken by God. And to be forsaken by God is hell. Jonah got what he asked for and it was crushing him. So may we be careful what we ask for. We might just get it. And that would be tragic. So Jonah gets what he's asking for in his rebellion, separation from God. But part two, if you're taking notes, there's a little correction in your notes. Jonah gets more than he deserved in his humiliation. He gets more than he deserves in his humiliation He gets salvation from God. So Jonah's prayer takes a turn in the middle of verse 6. Jonah faced death itself and judgment in plummeting to the bottom of the sea in a terrifying experience in the belly of a fish. But even there, he's not farther than God's grace can reach. He's brought low, he's cast down, he is humbled. But there he cries out to the Lord. And the Lord, what? Hears his cry. God not only hears his cry, but he ultimately delivers him from all of his fears. 
Yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Verse 6. But you brought my life up. I was cast down, but now you're bringing me up. I was fainting away. My life was fainting away. My life was ending. When death is all that I could see, Jonah says, I remembered the Lord. Like he was literally reaching the end of his rope. There's nothing else when you get to that point. There's nothing else. And he calls upon God who whom he knew was gracious and merciful. I mean, just part of the terror of that, of that whole experience, just like the, like the silence of it, the unknownness of that moment or those, that time for Jonah. Jonah's prayer came to God in his holy temple. That, that humble, desperate cry from the depths reaches the ears of God in his high and holy dwelling place. And Jonah knows that he's heard. And he actually makes this comment, like, in contrast to those who worship idols. In verse 8, you know, even the gods, the, the men were crying to the, the, their gods in the ship as it was going, uh, battling in the storm. And, and their gods could do nothing to end the storm. And if one calls on a false god, there's no steadfast love from the Lord if one pursues those other gods, they forsake anyone who calls upon a false god, forsakes the experience of the grace that could be theirs from the God who hears. But Jonah is heard by Yahweh in his distress, and he offers up a prayer of thanksgiving. He's talking about sacrifices and vows he's going to make to the Lord. He's going to worship God. Again, it reminds me of those pagan sailors who, who when they're rescued, they worship. They offer sacrifices and, and, and make vows. Prying, he's crying out to God to deliver him, and God does. And the heart of this song is really the, the fundamental cry of the book and really the Bible. It's that last phrase in verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation had come to Jonah. He's delivered from his watery grave by the means of this fish. He is, he's vomited up, he's spit back onto the shore, and he's alive. His life is literally returned to him by means of this fish. That's where the chapter ends. Jonah gets saved from this fish, or through the means of this fish. And, he, and we get to, to hear his experience, his, his song, his poem, his, his way of thinking about what this was like. What it was like to be far from God. To, to face the, the, the real consequences of his sinful heart. And to know that God is still merciful to me. God is still kind to me. God still gives me salvation. So what are we supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to make of this? The reality is the power of God to deliver a man's body from a fish is a mere shadow of what it is for God to deliver a man's soul from hell. Salvation really does belong to the Lord. Jonah is humbled beyond his wildest imagination and his worst nightmare. He's received what he did not deserve. 
in the end. It's so, he received something so simple yet so unmerited. He received mercy. He received grace. He experienced the steadfast love of God. And these are the inheritance who, of everyone who cries out to God in humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And here's this, even the rebel, even in his lowest point, can know the grace and mercy of God when they cry out to him. Right? There's no place so dark that you could be in that you cannot call out to God and be heard. But know that the grace toward us in those darkest moments. So all the grace of God, any grace that comes towards us, any grace, goodness that God pours out in our life, and it's all grace, it's all to the praise of his glorious grace, all that grace that is poured out on us comes at a great cost and a mighty victory. Grace can be ours and the chains of death that have held us can be broken because Jesus put on the chains. Of death, and he broke them so that we can be free. Jonah thought he was abandoned by God when he cried out, I am driven away from your sight. That's what, that's what he cried out in that moment. But that's nothing, that's nothing in compared to what Jesus, the greater Jonah, cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jonah experienced the fish, but Jesus experienced the grave. Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that we can enter into the presence of the Father. But more than just dying, more than just taking on that, that the judgment of God in our place, more than like putting on the chains of death, Jesus teaches us that the miracle of Jonah's salvation by fish is nothing compared to to the miracle of his own deliverance, to grant eternal life. See, it's not the resurrection of Jonah that matters for us today. Like, Jonah being saved from a fish does nothing for us today. But Jesus being raised from the grave does everything for us today. And this is pointing us to that. He's the greater Jonah who gave his life. And Romans says, he was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. Jesus saves, Jesus justifies the guilty, he, the rebels, the doubters, the unrighteous through his resurrection from the grave. And so we can say salvation belongs to the Lord. And there's no greater news than that for sinners. There is salvation, there's a, there's a gracious granting of salvation for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord to be saved. We all, like Jonah, have gone astray. We all have gone our own way. But God, the Father, has laid on his Son the iniquities of us all and then raised him to life. He doesn't die and stay there. If you even think of Isaiah 53, when we think about the cross, it says, yet the will, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was put, he, was, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, the offering of the cross, the sacrifice of the cross. But it says right after that, he shall see his offspring. 
He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What's that saying? He doesn't stay dead. He now is alive. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord is going to prosper in his hands. Yes, he's poured out to death. But he lives. He lives today that he might make intercession for sinners who come to him. He lives and he makes intercession for Jonah. For Rob. For John. For Bob. For Alan. For Nancy. Like just go down the room. Whoever here knows the Lord, he makes intercession for you and he's alive and he can do it right now. He's doing it right now. Running from God will take you where you don't want to go. But if you call out to the Lord, the power of resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, has the power to bring you back. He has the power to bring you back from wherever you are running. If you've never come to Jesus, he can rescue you from there. But maybe you're just running from God and you see yourself beyond the point of no return. God rescues people who are beyond the point of no return. Maybe perhaps you have questions that you, you think, like, I can't overcome them. Like they're a constant barrier to my trust of Jesus. I have this nagging question. Maybe it's one, two, five, ten. I don't know. There's like nagging. You're like, I don't know. Can I give myself fully to Jesus because I got this question? I don't know how to answer it. He rescues those people too. Or your sin is so much a part of who you think that you are that you can't see a way out. We do recognize there are people like that. Think, it could never be different for me. I'm stuck. I think some people want to be saved, but they think they're stuck and they can't be saved. Stop running. Humble yourself. Don't give up. It's going to tell Jonah. Uh, this book is going to tell us in chapter four that God is a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Jesus died. For sin and rose for your life to be resurrected if you would call upon him today. The power of the resurrection is the power to show unfathomable grace, mercy, and steadfast love towards you. Jonah says, salvation is of, belongs to the Lord. And guess what? Jonah is right. Salvation belongs to the Lord. If those who are playing music can come forward. We're actually going to end our service now with worship. Because this, this song ends with salvation belongs to the Lord. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a time for you to sing it. It's a time for you to pray this prayer, this truth. And so you should ask yourself, what do I need to call upon the Lord for? What do I need to, how can I praise him for saving me? What has he saved me from? What has he delivered me from? So 
So sing this prayer. Praise him for his resurrection, for delivering you out of the pit and letting you see the countenance of his face. Why don't you stand together?